What's going on? Welcome into Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojak and Luke Smith. This has been the weirdest college football season of all time, one that featured a playoff semifinal Rose Bowl game in Dallas instead of Pasadena. But one consistent element about it all was that Notre Dame season ended in a blowout loss on a big <laughs> stage. The Irish fell to Alabama 31-14 in the college football playoff semifinal game. And now Luke and I are here to sort of lick our wounds and put a bow on the 2020 season. We're going to talk about how we watched the game what to take away from it. And then we'll be joined by recurring guest Sam Bush to talk a little bit more about the Alabama game, but mostly to talk about the big picture and reflect on what was a really fun season of Notre Dame football, um, despite the way it ended. So Luke, you were there. You've experienced this many, many times now. So how was your time in Dallas and how are you feeling now that you've had time to sort of digest everything that happened on Friday? So you mentioned it. I was in Jerry World, and um, I definitely sat through worse losses. Um, I'm not sure what that says about me or this program, but it, it honestly wasn't It wasn't all that bad. Uh, we had a really good crew down there. I knew literally everyone in my section, both like the 10 people I went with as well as people in front of me. Like We all kind of ended up in the same spot, so that was nice. Um, and the players' families were to our immediate left, so we had a ton of Millers, which is always great. Um, we had great seats, but that unfortunately meant that the Najee Harris hurdle over McLeod was pretty much right in front of us. Um, I actually, was, as he was going down the sideline, I couldn't end in the best angle. I thought he scored. I was like, oh, God. Um, but <laughs> it was right then and there when I just knew we didn't have a chance in that game. Yeah, thank God he didn't score because we would literally see that play on loop for the rest of our lives. Now we'll just see it like briefly. It'll be talked about a little this season, but man, if he scored a touchdown there, oh, that would have been beaten to death. That would have really sucked. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where we find people like that, and that's nothing against our two backs because they're really good. And as I'll get into this, two of the guys that I thought actually belonged on that field, the skill position on Friday, but I mean, that was just one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in front of me, you know, besides everything else Devonta Smith was doing in that same game. You yeah, said, so what were your emotions like going into the game? Cause obviously we both, we both knew this was an extremely tall task. And then the opening kick Tyree just gets rocked, fumbles the ball. And then it's like, Oh shit. Like, we already knew exactly how it was going to go just based off that one play. Well, yeah, it's funny you bring that up because I was, like, trying to take a picture of the uh, of the kickoff as it was happening. And lo and behold, as I'm doing that, I actually capture myself on the big screen itself, on the Jumbotron. And so I'm like, whoa, did that really just happen? And I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, wow, I got that. And then I just hear a roar, and Tyree just gets rocked. I'm like, oh, did he really just fumble the ball on like the two yard line? Um, but yeah, that I mean, that's it set the tone very early. Like somebody was actually saying to me before that kick, like, oh, like they don't play anybody on their special teams. I'm like, dude, it's all their five star freshmen that are pl- on special teams for Alabama. They're gonna run down the field and smoke somebody. Um, that's how they get on the field. And you're right. I didn't really have any expectations going into this. And we were in the stadium about an hour early. And that, that stadium's awesome, by the way. Um, yeah, so cool. But we were just drinking the whole time. And I, I didn't let myself get too high ever. Like, people were trying to tell me, like, we're going to win this game. I'm like, no, we're not. Like, just don't even say that. <laughs> like, listen, as optimistic as we want to be, like, don't say that. Like, you just sound dumb. Um, but... <laughs> It, it was tough, um, no doubt about it. But like I said, I've I've definitely sat through through worse games. I walked in the door to my house, like right as that fumble happened. I even like I had work all day, and the pregame show ended right at four. So then I raced home, and I even left the TV on ESPN so that I didn't miss a second. Like I'd walk in the door, and I could immediately turn to my left and see what was going on, and like. I swear to God, I didn't even see the kick. I just saw the part where Tyree got smoked, fumbled. He was lucky um, that Notre Dame even recovered that. I think it was Lamb got on the ball. But, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect. Like, it kind of sucks how on the day that Notre Dame was playing in a semifinal game, I woke up not happy or, like, excited about it at all. I was like, oh, like, all right, here we go again. It just, it's it's so weird that, you know, that's sort of the buildup. That's what Notre Dame wanted all season we get it and you can't even really enjoy it because of just how daunting it was from the beginning. It's honestly so bad. It makes me question like, why do I even do this? Right. Why why do I continue to put myself in the, in this position? Because when Notre Dame finally gets there, I can't even 
get myself happy about it. Like I couldn't even yeah. be like those people and convince ourselves that we had a chance. Yeah, I, I did say this to you, I think, before the game that I just felt like I was kind of forcing this trip a little bit, like going to the game, like because it was the first time really ever. I just like did not have any anticipation or expectation that we were going to win the game. And like I wasn't super excited when I woke up. Um, I mean, New Year's Eve was like fun in Dallas or whatever, hanging out with friends. But then I woke up like Friday morning and they're like the tailgate lots were close. We we're going to a, like a big patio before the game. Um, but I knew I needed to eat something. And so I'm just like kind of walking around downtown Dallas by myself, like trying to find something to eat. And I ended up at like this deserted subway on the end of the highway. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like eating by myself. And the subway cashier's telling me she's having a customer like one every two hours and I'm just like so that's where I'm at with my life right now before a huge Notre Dame Alabama game like, I don't really know what we're doing um but yeah it, it was kind of hard to get up for this one and I don't know if that says more about what I was expecting out of Notre Dame or just how good I knew Alabama was um I think more of the latter than the former to be honest with you um that's what I'm gonna tell myself but it, it is uh it felt like we had kind of just reached a ceiling, and I was like, there's just no way this 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 one turns out our way. Yeah, I know I picked Notre Dame in the preview pod last week, but as the week went on, I, I couldn't even, like when I tried to get myself excited and tried to think like, okay, maybe there is a way that Notre Dame could win this. I kept seeing something about how this could be, you know, Nick Saban's best team at Alabama. And if you think about that and all the great teams that he's had, they're talking about the best coach ever I think at least in my opinion the best college football coach ever definitely in our lifetimes who's had what how many national championships now five uh I think it's five is it five at Bama and one at LSU yeah guy who's won five national championships has produced some of the best NFL players in recent memory and they're talking about this being one of his best teams like we had no chance. Like when you start to think about it there and all the different things that could potentially go wrong for Alabama and it's still, the mismatches were everywhere and it sucked. But I guess now we could actually start getting into the actual game and not just this sad reality of being a fan enduring it. Yeah. Um, I guess we may as well. Um, you know, I mean the first obvious takeaway and we've already said this, they're really, really, really good. Um, it started right away kind of as soon as we punted on our first drive their first couple of drives were just so intentional and efficient. Like I, I just, and I was easy. like, what are we going to do here? Um, the defense did somewhat settle in after those first two drives, but there was just nobody who was able to cover number six. Uh, Devonta Smith, I'll say it probably the best college player I've seen live outside of maybe Reggie Bush. He like, you're watching him run his routes and just, he moves around like a Tesla. Like it's from zero to six, 60, like that, like he's just gone. And that was the thing. Like, they didn't even really take, like, any deep shots. Like, you look at how easy it was for them. Like, their three explosive passing plays on offense in the first half were two slants and a swing pass. When you look at Notre Dame, like, we had to work so hard to find these explosive plays, and they just run their offense. Um, Like, that's just such a strong difference there. Even against, like, a defense, you know, that held Alabama to their lowest output in two years, which is pretty ridiculous it was still so easy for them when they did have the ball. And, you know, I, I think the other takeaway I had was, like, just our receivers, we knew it was an issue all year. Like, they couldn't get open worth a damn. Um, I know there are a couple plays that Book should have taken shots, and I know everybody loves to blame Ian Book and says he doesn't take shots, and they're so glad he's gone because they're idiots. But when you're actually there, you can see that the receivers don't do anything at all. There were, like, two plays. He missed McKinley once. Um, you know, there's that condescending guy who calls himself coach at another outlet who tries to explain to you the different kinds of being open. But trust me, there was nothing there all day. Um, there were three guys at the skill positions who belonged on the field for us offensively. And that was Kyron, Tyree and Mayer. Um, stars matter that they just do like the receivers could not get open. And I guess the other thing, the one thing that really bothered me about the game, like even knowing going in that it's a hell of an uphill battle to, to compete in this game. You mentioned Tyree getting smoked on the kickoff. Like, yeah, that happened, right? But why did we have to call a fair catch every other kickoff after? Like, show that you're a five-star and, and take another hit. I don't know. That just kind of bothered me. Um, as did that third and seven speed option on the second drive. Like, I'll acknowledge that the, the churn the clock game plan contributed to a, a much closer game than it may have been otherwise. But 
I'm not sure that ever actually gave us a chance to win. I, th- I thought we played a little bit scared, a little bit not to lose and, and instead of trying to win. Like, you got to do something. But, like I just said, with those receivers, I'm not sure that chance to take shots ever really existed. Yeah, I agree. And, and to be honest with you, it's it's pretty incredible that this is... That like, they got that far with those receivers? Yeah, well, that too. And it just like, this is considered a bad defense for Alabama, at least by their standards, and especially yeah. uh, Nick Saban's standards. And, you know, we looked at that as a potential area that Notre Dame could exploit potentially in the secondary, but they still have Patrick Sertain, who's unstoppable. You know, he won SEC Defensive Player of the Year for a reason, basically eliminated whatever receiver it was that he was covering. Um, they also had two other guys in the first team All-SEC and Christian Barmore and Dylan Moses, and I know Moses is not the player that he was pre-injury, but they're still really talented. They're loaded with high recruits. They don't miss tackles ever. Like, Kyron had a couple of times where he got to the second level and you thought, oh, he might break it, and they just brought him down. Like, they're just so efficient. They're so good. And that's the thing. Like, the receivers, we've been pretty critical about them all year. Yes, Ian definitely dances too much in the pocket sometimes, and maybe he doesn't throw the ball. But like you mentioned, we have to force the issue with deep shots. Like we, It's not even in the realm of possibility for like Javon McKinley or Ben Skoranek to take a slant to the house. Like yeah. The thought of that is laughable. And if you're a premier receiver in college football, that shouldn't be the case. Like You have to have at least one guy who's capable of taking a screen or something and it's not like Notre Dame has never had that, to be honest with you. They, they used to always have that. Like, Notre Dame had at least one really good receiver for, like, the longest stretch. Hell, Samarja, Murray Stovall, Rima McKnight, and then it was um, Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, T.J. Jones, Devaris Daniels, Will Fuller. These are all really good receivers. It's not like Notre Dame's incapable of recruiting them, but on this team, it just wasn't there. And I think that's what the most frustrating part is you knew Notre Dame to, to be in this game, had to take shots, do trick plays, break tendencies, and it— it just didn't happen, but it really wasn't there. Yeah, and I think, like, McKinley averaged, like, 17 yards a catch this year, but, like, I want to say probably averaged, like, 0.8 yards after catch per catch this year. Like, they were all just, like, <laughs> you can't run, okay? Like like you said, he's never going to take a slant to the house. And, yeah, you're right. Like, people love to freak out about Tommy Rees and say he's just Brian Kelly 2.0 because everybody thinks they're a genius. Well, guess what? You're not. There's a reason you're doing your job and Tommy Rees is doing his. Like, I don't know why people think they have the answers, especially in the heat of the moment. It, it drives me nuts, and it's just, frankly, so arrogant that it, it's so off-putting. But... You're right. Um, it just wasn't there. And that's so apparent, especially when you're there, just seeing those guys on the field, how they are lined up against our guys. And I, it's crazy because we're a top five team, but just that gap is still so, so apparent. Yeah, we're not saying that coaches can't be subject to criticism because they obviously can be, and sometimes they should be. Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese, there are some things that I have questions about. And as we know, we're fervent Brian Kelly supporters. The third and seven speed option call on second down, like that's right. inexcusable. Yeah. Like I, I get the idea of you know trying to catch them off guard with a run play on on third and reasonable because Notre Dame has shown they can they can do that, but not in our territory at, at that stage in the game when Alabama just showed you on the first drive just how easy it is for them to score. If Notre Dame were say it like uh, Alabama's forty five yard line and you're setting it up where you're going to go for it on fourth down, okay, I could see that. But that stuff can't happen. And and there was some other aspects, like the eight-minute drive was great. Notre Dame killed a bunch of clock. And, you know, it's kind of surprising. Notre Dame only held Bama to four possessions in the first half, although it doesn't seem like it because they just scored with such ease. But the game plan was kind of structured to the point that, like, Notre Dame had the lead. And Notre mm-hmm. Dame never had the lead. And I think that I agree with you. There's definitely too many people just getting overly critical of everything. And the one thing I keep going back to is people cry for like Jordan Johnson and Braden Lindsay to play um, to potentially be that game breaker on the outside. There has never been a coach and there never will be a coach in the history of college football that would just purposely bench a more talented player unless there was some sort of reasoning, whether it be off the field issues or what have you. They would never just do it for the sake of doing it. Their lives are on the line. Their whole careers are on the line. They're going to put the best players in the field. They're, they're, the idea that the coaches would just bench them for the sake of doing it, or it's ridiculous to me. It always has been. These are the best receivers on Notre Dame's roster. These coaches spend more time with them than their own families. This is the most talented group, and it's unfortunate because that's who the best were. But we are quick to forget. Kevin Austin was our number one undisputed receiver going into the season. 
he was out season-ending injury. He was considered the only guy who could be that sort of game-breaker, and he wasn't there. We don't have the depth um, to replace him, and that sucks, but I think that's a huge part in all of this. It totally is. Um, and I don't know how we get to that depth without some serious changes in terms of just the way Notre Dame's philosophy works. But like I said, like all of Alabama's five-star freshmen are on special teams working their ass off to get on the field. Like they just have them in hordes. Like there are so many talented players on that roster. And that's not to say that Notre Dame's roster wasn't very talented this year. It was. Um, but I think, you know, it was probably better than the, the sum of its parts the whole time, especially those first 10 games. Like you look at some of the rosters we've had in past years, they were better. The 15 team was better. The 18 team, probably better. And, you know, this team gave us a win over number one team in the country. But I don't know. I don't know how you get there in these massive postseason games without the the same sort of depth that your Alabamas and and Clemsons and and Ohio States have. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear we're stretching the gap between us and 115 other FBS programs. We're undoubtedly a top five program. But as we separate ourselves from the rest of the pack— the gap between us and Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, it's changed incrementally, like not much, because they're adapting to and they're getting better. And, and to be honest, this all feels so cyclical, right? Like before the season, we had pretty high expectations. We figured probably lose to Clemson, but definitely compete for the college football playoff. And then the season goes on. We have a really solid regular season. We beat everyone that they're supposed to beat. And this time, get a great win over a great team in Clemson. But the signs were there that we weren't like truly elite. Like Notre Dame struggled with Louisville, looked a little bit vulnerable against Duke. And, and that's not an indictment. Like that happens, right? But it also happened in 2018 against Ball State and Vanderbilt where you're like, how is this even a game? And I get it. In a long season, especially in a season like this, teams are going to have letdowns. That happens to everyone except Alabama and Clemson. Like those teams aren't toying with terrible teams in this schedule. It doesn't matter if they're having a down game they still win by three touchdowns then we get to the postseason our hopes are all the way up you know we're thinking national championship the season has worked out so well this far like we can get two more right and then we get blown out the talent disparity is obvious and then we look back and now all of a sudden our big win doesn't even feel as good now kind of like in 2018 when that win against Stanford at the time was awesome they were top 10 at the end of the year that that win was nothing and now like the win against Clemson is still great, but it's clear. Like, it's not as good as it felt in the moment because they didn't have Lawrence and they didn't have Skalski. Now, we're in a position where we take a step back, we look at it all objectively, and maybe we should have seen this coming all along. But, like, we've been here before. It's been the same thing. I know what that next level is, but you're right. I don't know how we get there. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings me to, to what this all means, right? And I, I just don't really see how this gets better for Notre Dame in the current era of, of college football without some serious changes at the administrative level. Um, listen, like I'm a, I'm a fervent Brian Kelly supporter, and I don't think there's anybody better for this job at the moment. Let me add, all those stupid reporters going nuts about his presser, what do you expect him to say in that moment? I will add that it was Pete Sampson who asked that question, and he had like the only reasonable response to it, like, yeah, like I was probably not the best time to ask that question, but like all these other dorks, like what are you going at him for? I just don't get it. Um, and why do you care what he says publicly? It's what happens in the locker room that matters, and what the team and program invest themselves into doing that ends up mattering. Like you're a reporter, you don't deserve anything from Brian Kelly. He doesn't owe you shit. Like uh, you're not that important. Sorry, I digress. However, <laughs> I, like with Kelly, like unless some serious changes are made at the administrative level and also he gets and finds another gear like he has, you know, in 2016 and he does that with recruiting, I, I think we've reached the ceiling. Um, we're 11 years in here, right? And we keep saying we're going to get there. And listen, I don't doubt that we're going to be in these postseason games again. And when we get there, I believe that it will have been earned. However, like until we get there, you know, with a generational talent at quarterback or a stockpile of receivers and, and you know, skill players, I, I don't see how that happens. I, I really don't. And that starts in recruiting. Um, let me say, like Ian Book, he was phenomenal. He won 30 games, played a game with broken ribs. Without him, we don't come close to the playoff this year or in 2018. Like I, I, when people complain about him, I, it's like they forget about Brandon Wimbush and Deshaun Kaiser and all these other guys in front of him. Like, I, I don't know how selective their memory is, but it's astonishing to me. 
But like to get to that next level, like you need a Trevor Lawrence or a Joe Burrow or a Justin Fields, and and you need receivers like Bama has. Because I will say, you know, I think if Ian Book has the guys that Mac Jones is having, like no disrespect to Mac Jones, I don't think it's that different. I don't think Mac Jones is that good. He's not going to have a good NFL career. Like he's not okay. Um, but and and that all comes down to recruiting, getting these receivers, and we haven't proven that we can do that um, with Alabama and Clemson, and you know, I guess the Ohio States of the world. How do we get there? You know, common theme in this episode. I have no idea, and Kelly has changed in the past, but I, I really do think it's going to take some administrative changes to get there. And, and we can get into this later, but I don't see that happening. Um, I, I actually saw somebody on Twitter. I don't think they were joking, but I wish they were. Talk about how we need an antitrust lawsuit against the powers to break up the concentration <laughs> of talents. Um, like that's just yeah. I, I wish we could, but that's not going to happen. Um, you know, what might help us is other Blue Bloods being good, shockingly enough. We can't go into these games against 21 five-stars and just expect to win. Like I said, outside of the line, which played well, those only offensive players that belonged on Saturday were Kyron, Tyree, and Mayer. And Kyron was, I guess, a high three, low four, but Tyree and Mayer, they were fives. Stars matter. You need guys like that. Um, and where we go from here, I don't know. But there's there's something that needs to happen to get us to that next gear. And I would be lying to you if I told you I have that answer because I don't. And I think everybody at Notre Dame in that football program is, is probably saying the same thing. Cause if they had that answer, they would make it happen. But right now it just seems like we're kind of stuck where we are and it's not a bad place, but it's, it's not where we ultimately want to be. You're right. It's not a bad place. Like we're complaining now. There are 110 other FBS programs that would absolutely trade places with Notre Dame and try to be in the place that Notre Dame is right now. And probably even more than that, there's probably five teams, though, that are like consistently top 10. that are in a little bit of a denial and think they're in a better position than Notre Dame when they, they actually aren't. But I would push back a little bit on the Brian Kelly presser. Yes, we're huge supporters, and I get it. He's an ultra competitor, and he's pissed off because this team just got blown out. But you can't I get that he's pissed about the narrative that Notre Dame doesn't show up in big games. Like I understand why they, that's got to be so damn annoying to answer on a consistent basis. But like, look, dude, until you at least put up a fight in one of these games, like that question is going to continue, and it's on you and the team. And look, I understand the talent disparity is there, but you got to like accidentally compete in one of these games, or else it's never going to stop. But you made a good point. It, it's about recruiting, and it's it's so easy to say, right? Like recruit better, but think about it. Like, let's just be honest with ourselves. If you're a five-star, if you're a five-star and you're absolutely certain you're going to the NFL, and I'm just going to let you know, every single five-star and most four-stars are 100% certain that they're going to the NFL on all you care about in your college experience is football and the lifestyle that surrounds it. Why would you come to Notre Dame? And I say that as a diehard fan and as someone who went there. Kyle Hamilton had a great quote before the Rose Bowl. He said, Alabama and those blue bloods are a professional factory. You know, if you go there, your chances of getting to the NFL are a lot higher than if you go to other schools. He'd, he'd also go on to say, and I want to know that I'll be well-educated and well-connected throughout the school. He is the outlier. He is certainly not the norm. And if you don't believe that, like, every single recruit thinks they're going to the NFL, Ryan Rosillo had a quote on his podcast where he asked the Georgia strength coach, how many of these guys do you think are going to play in the league? The strength coach goes, eh, I've got about three who don't three on an 85-man roster. So if they're all thinking about, I don't really care that much about school. I'm going to the NFL anyway. Why would you come to Notre Dame? Because look, getting in is a challenge. We all know that. You know, that's obvious, right? Right away, like the amount of people that we can get, that cuts down a little bit. But once you get in, that's actually where the real challenge starts because you got to stay eligible. Look at Alice A. Mack, Everett Golson, Kavari Russell, Tavares Daniels, Ishaq Williams, and more these guys were suspended for academic reasons, whether it be cheating or they couldn't um, get the grades. And now another big thing is like all these other schools are doing all online classes. And I say that like pre-COVID. Like Joe Burrow said last year, he never, ever had to go to a class. It was all online. Justin, Justin Fields, Fields still hasn't seen the Ohio yeah. State campus. They never have to. And those are just two examples. Like most of the guys, this is the same thing. So you don't have to go to class and you barely have to stay eligible as it is if you go to another school. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. These guys don't want to live in old-ass dorms with random roommates. Like, they just don't. Hamilton was put into, like, a 5 by 5 dorm and alumni with no AC. 
I don't want to live there, and I'm a nobody. You think a 6'4", 250-pound superstar? But, but we did. Yeah, we did anyway. We had no other and option. And listen, do you see where I'm talking to you from right now? I'm almost 24 years old, and I'm sitting in the dark because I don't know how to replace <laughs> the light bulbs in my apartment. These kids can sack up a little bit. <laughs> okay, but if, if you had the option to stay in a far superior place, you'd absolutely do that. And the facilities, you know, that's that's pretty obvious. I think Notre Dame is up there, but they're lagging behind. Is DCO not enough for you? Come on. <laughs> maybe DCO, maybe Rolfs too. Would you rather live in South Bend or the South? That's pretty simple. And we know what the social life is like at Notre Dame. Did we have a good time? Absolutely. We had a ton of fun. But we spent 10 minutes on the last show talking about Alabama bars because that's how memorable it was. That's how cool they are. So look. It's an uphill battle. If Notre Dame wants to be at that level, they're going to have to get every single Kyle Hamilton-esque player in the recruiting class, which is a five-star player who's willing to prioritize academics. Those guys aren't that available, and if they are, you you cannot miss them. And I just think it's it's easy to say, yeah, recruit the five stars. Okay, well, good luck convincing a five-star to come here where it's significantly harder than any other school that they could just go, they could play a, like high level football, get a ton of exposure because they're going to be in the college football playoff every year. I mean, good luck. You're right. And at a macro level, obviously, there's a lot that needs to be done in the form of investments to get there. But, you know, I think also just on a micro level, going from this year to next year, I, I don't really know where we go from here. Um, you know, to be honest, I'm not really worried about the offensive line besides losing every starter but Jarrett Patterson. I think we reloaded that position. We, we should be fine. Zeke Carell and, and Lug had played in a lot of games. I think we'll be okay there. But obviously quarterback's a huge question mark, as is the vacant defensive coordinator position. And I was thinking about this earlier. I think, frankly, this is the first season I'll go into since early Kelly years, probably 2011, not expecting to compete for a playoff berth or a national championship. I, I expect Notre Dame to take a little bit of a slide next year. Not like 7-5, and five, but... Nine and three, you know, ten and two, and even in 2016 when we went four and eight, we were a, a top ten team preseason, and that's going to be an interesting adjustment for fans, including myself, who just expect us to be in these games every year. And that brings me to my closing point. Obviously, the the last two outings for this 2020 Notre Dame football team did not go as we would have liked. However, you know, I think for a lot of people, and, and certainly right now, it'll unfortunately cause us to, to lose sight of just how fun this year was. Uh, it really was a pleasure to watch this team, and, and I think we'll eventually look back on this season quite fondly, just as we do with 2018 and, and 2012. You know, Notre Dame had an undefeated regular season in a year a lot of us thought might not happen. There was a pandemic, if you didn't hear. November 7th happened. I don't care who played. Uh, that night was truly magical in that stadium, and the team's success really did serve as just a, a wonderful distraction when pretty much everything else in the world didn't make any sense. So thank you, Ian Buck, uh, J- Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, Liam Eikenberg, Rob Hainsey, Aaron Banks, Clark Lee, and so many others for giving us this season. It really was awesome. Yeah, without a doubt. This uh, this team and this season really kept me going, but I want to keep this note going, so let's bring in uh, Sam Bush. All right, we're joined now by our second recurring guest, former offensive lineman and WAPU Nation president, Sam Bush. So right off the top, Sam, what were your emotions like on Saturday, and how are you feeling now a few days after the fact? Uh, you know, going into Saturday, I was uh, very optimistic, <clears throat> really excited to watch the boys go out there and hopefully dominate. I was definitely bummed uh, being from Southern California. It's the first time Notre Dame has played in a Rose Bowl in 95 years, so the fact that I wasn't able to tailgate in Pasadena for a Notre Dame game is an opportunity. I'll f- I feel like I'll feel like I've missed out on for the rest of my life. But um, you know, it I it definitely going into it, I felt really good, felt like a special one. But uh, it, it went downhill pretty quick, as I'm sure was the case with you guys. Um, that opening kickoff was a pretty good determining factor, kind of set the tone. And, you know, it was uh, it was definitely a tough New Year's. Uh, I'll say that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I was I was there and, you know, it was it was pretty much like some of these other big games we've been to where they're a lot of fun. And then um, get out there and just kind of the air gets sucked out of you right away. But, you know, what can you do? Exactly. So you were part of Brian Kelly's self-transformation into Brian Kelly 2.0 after that 2016 season. We basically changed a lot about himself, changed a lot about the program, changed a bunch of things. So now that Notre Dame is clearly in a great place, at least 
maybe not from the fans' perspective who think national championship or bust, which I totally understand. They're in a great place, but maybe not the place that they want to be. Now, Brian Kelly might have to reevaluate things again. He's sort of at, at an inflection point, if you will. What do you think he has to change to close the gap uh, on the top teams? Um, you know, I don't know. That's, that's actually kind of a hard question. Uh, it almost in a way feels like kind of a short-sighted question. Like you said, I was there for kind of the changing of the guard where we went four and eight, my junior season flipped around. We cleaned house. What 60% of the 60, 70% of the entire staff was gone and replaced. We brought in Matt Bayless, which absolutely gave an adrenaline shot into the culture of Notre Dame football. And you could feel the gears turning then. We, that season, that senior season, beat new, uh, LSU on New Year's Day. And from then, it just felt like it was going and going and going. And we're building this steamroll, uh, this momentum of a steamroller of a team. Then this year happens, you know, last year we lose uh, to Clemson in the CFP. This year, lose to Bama in the CFP. And it just, um, you know, I feel like I'm kind of long-winded. I'm not sure that there's much else he can do. It's, I, I think a lot of people are blowing this out of proportion where they're saying that loss was a Notre Dame problem. But I really think Bama and Clemson, a lot of people are saying it. Bama and Clemson were more of a college football program where that's the first time a, an Alabama offense has been held under 35 points in like double-digit games. I mean, we played a lot better than I think the scoreboard says. Um and I really feel like he's just got to keep trusting the process. There's a lot of big questions that need to be answered in the offseason. Um, if you ask me, starting up front on the offensive line, I think is the biggest part where we're going to need to focus attention. But, you know, I, I really I really kind of throw my hands up in the air. I don't know what more we can do. Brian Kelly is a completely different coach from – what I had my first three years, and that's not to say it was a bad three years, but it's just it it still feels like there's something different. There feels like there's this brotherhood on the team right now that you're seeing at these top programs. And maybe it's because it's it's in the infancy of its conception or whatnot. But, it, you know, I really maybe I'm just a hopeless, romantic Notre Dame fan, <laughs> but I, I, I continue to trust the program, man. It, these. These teams, these last three, four years have been a lot of fun, not only A, to be a part of, but B, to be fans of. There have been a lot of reasons to invest in these teams. And, you know, I, I, I just continue to say, like, trust the process. Yeah, no, I think I totally agree with that in terms of it's not a Notre Dame problem. Like, it might be more of a college football problem just with those two groups, two teams at the top, really, you know. Alabama, obviously, and, and Clemson. So, obviously, you still talk to a lot of guys who are still on the team, and I'm wondering if you've talked to them about this at all, just how grueling was this season and a pandemic on those guys? Well, it's unlike any kind of season anybody's ever seen before. I mean, thank God it's 2021 when we're recording this. It's We put behind, uh, we put behind us a year that's just unfathomable in so many terms. My brother, who played at Michigan – um, ended up dropping out of his fifth year season because of all this going down. But, you know, I know that this team really wanted to play football this season. That was like their main goal. And we saw that when Kelly went into the ACC and whatnot. And these guys, yeah, it was a grind. And there was a lot of frustration um, at certain points. I think there was a little bit of probably more than a little bit of anxiety um, but also a lot of these guys were held to a higher standard because of what they were having to do on top of their schoolwork and outside of being uh, a normal, uh, a normal student at the university, even more so than you would have just in a typical thing. You have to be sure with everything going on in the world that you're not exposing yourself to the wrong people. You're not being in a crowded place so that you're putting the rest of the team in jeopardy. And we saw it a couple weeks where, there were a couple guys who had to go on this COVID-19 reserve list. And it just adds that extra stress, kind of that emphasizes that extra stress that on top of trying to compete for a national championship, which we were right there doing this year, they also handled this entire thing better than I'd say 85, 90% of the teams in the country. Um, and that's really a testament to the players buying in and really 
showing their commitment to wanting to be great and wanting to try and do something special. Absolutely. And I think it was a really special season despite the way it ended. I mean, the last two losses sucked, but hell, like I said this before, this team sort of like kept me going throughout the fall. And I know I'm not alone in that, in that respect. So now as you have had time to reflect, how are you going to remember this season? Oh my gosh, dude. I mean, Tyler, I, I FaceTimed you after the first Clemson victory. And that was, you guys spoke about it on the podcast that week. That's the most important, like, that's probably the best Notre Dame win that I've experienced in my lifetime. It's something I'm never going to forget. I broke down in tears after it happened <laughs> just because it's been so many long, hard years of trying to get over the hump. And that was just such a validating win. I, I texted this to you earlier, Tyler, and I'm going on record as saying it on the podcast. I'm going to miss Ian Book, a.k.a. the greatest quarterback in Notre Dame history. I really think I know that it might be early. It, it, it might be, but I, I think of some of the great Notre Dame quarterbacks, even going back to like Montana, um, Tony Rice, uh, even Ron Paulus or Rick Mirror, um, Heisman winners, even before that, John Hewitt, et cetera, et cetera. Those guys all came with Notre Dame was always at the absolute pinnacle of everything. Those guys, you know, were took over teams that were always in the top dog spot and were always expected. And in a way of their times, kind of like in Alabama, they were just these steamrollers of teams. Ian Book comes into a team that is just clawing its way back to being at the top of college football and has been for the past decade, the better part of the past decade. Um, You know, it, it just feels like we witnessed something special where you never complained. You never, uh, heaved blame onto anyone else in his downfalls. He just went to work, did the work, and it showed. He's the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. He's the only two-time, uh, he's the only captain quarterback in the Brian Kelly era, let alone a two-time captain. And I, knowing him personally and getting a couple of years with him before I left means so much more to me because of what he did. But I'm just really going to miss watching 12 play on Saturdays, man. That was, uh, I think that was a real treat that we're all going to look back on and just kind of remember this time in Notre Dame football and smile on it. It's, it was a really fun time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I thought you brought up a really good point there that kind of made me realize, you know, when he came in with those other fifth-year seniors, so Liam Eikenberg, Ade Ugandeji, Dalen Hayes, et cetera, Javon McKinley, you know, they, they go four and eight their freshman year, right? And you guys, your group really helped kind of orchestrate that that comeback and, and what we've seen the last three, four seasons out of Notre Dame, which have been so great. But they were there for, for all of that and ended up winning 43 games over the next four years. Um, I, I think that's just a testament, obviously, to Ian Book and that entire class and those guys that were there just really, like you said, gave us the best era of Notre Dame football of our lifetime to date. And, and I agree. I think that one will stick with me as well. Absolutely. And I, uh, we just watched something really special up front in the offensive line these last two years, especially this year. These guys, most of these guys were freshmen when I was seniors, freshmen or sophomores. And just watching them develop and come up and mature and come to play the way that they have as a, as a unit. I didn't really know Jarrett. He came after I graduated. I met him a couple of times. He's from Southern California, went to one of my rival high schools. So, you know, I got to represent somewhere, but I I, I believe he's coming back. He's going to have another great year with the Irish. He might even play tackle. Which is interesting. He can do it, man. He's just an athlete. He's just an athlete. I really think he can. Um, But Liam, Aaron, Tommy, and Robert, a.k.a. Babo, those guys were special, man. They uh, they came in, watched our senior year when we won that Joe Moore Award after turning it around from four and eight, and they took that to heart. They really took that upon themselves to uphold that standard of excellence in the offensive line room, even though, you know, Harry Heastan's not the coach anymore. That doesn't matter to those guys. They are ingrained with those traits and understand the work ethic that comes with being a Notre Dame offensive lineman. It was really something – Something special to watch those guys work week in and week out this 
this entire season. It was it, it's just a thrill. And, you know, not many people go to watch football games and watch the offensive line. You guys get it because you're such avid football fans. But you know that when half the people there are just looking at where the ball's going and whatnot, they're not watching all the intricacies and just mental toughness that goes into each of the five positions up front and how each of those individual five positions have to be played on such a togetherness. And these guys did it at the absolute highest level under the hardest circumstances, like we talked about earlier. Um, It was special, dude. I am really bummed to see those guys leave. I wish them absolutely all the best in their future careers because they're all going to have fucking monster careers. <laughs> and it's uh, it was and it was a pleasure to actually know those guys and to watch those guys do what they did as uh, as they got older. Something you mentioned, I want to touch on. You mentioned the offensive line of all the things that went wrong in the Alabama game. The offensive line was not one of them. Now, Notre Dame's going to have a very inexperienced offensive line next year. But on the other hand, they recruit at a really high level at that position. How important is it to have a guy like Jarrett, who's been with the program for years, knows the standard, knows knows the culture? How important is that, even if he's just one guy, to have that one guy who's been through it on the offensive line? How can he influence the younger guys? Oh, it's, it's critical. I mean, I came in my freshman year. We had Christian Lombard was still in the room as a fifth year it's also really interesting to see there there are a couple of schools, really the offensive line heavy schools where you see most of these guys come back for fifth years, but it feels like Notre Dame offensive linemen take fifth years like it's nobody's business because they want to develop that chemistry. They want to develop that brotherhood in the room. They love everybody in that offensive line film room um, and they just want to be around their boys as much as they can. So having a guy like Jared in there who has been to been to the top worked as hard as anybody in college football has worked and seen what success looks like on that kind of a level seeing what goes into producing at that high of a level it just drips from the from the top down and it's it's interesting when you go into the offensive line room there's three sets of desks and they're all rowed up and it's first line second line excuse me, third line. And, you know, they're, the way that all this, uh, the knowledge just kind of trickles back throughout the years and um, guys continue to move up in the room, working towards those top spots. Jarrett has done that. He's been at the bottom, worked his way to the top. And you know what, I hate to say this, but now that he's had an injury, it, it gives him all that more incentive to come back and be great and be a part of something great. You know, he doesn't want this to be the last taste that people have of him. So it, it, if I know what is going on through in his head and just kind of the mentality that being a Notre Dame offensive lineman spawns, he's taking it upon himself to make sure that he's not the only one having success. He's bringing all of those younger guys with him because that's what, Ronnie Stanley did. That's what Nick Martin did. That's what Quentin Nelson did. That's what Mike McGlinchey did. That's what Steve Elmer did. That's what all of these guys did. Zach Martin before then, Chris Watt. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, and that's that's very much a hard habit to break once we've established that so thoroughly and as thoroughly as we have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're right. It's obviously been apparent the last decade plus just that that Notre Dame offensive line room really is kind of the heart and soul of the program. Um, but, you know, as we reflect on this season, we, we talked about the Clemson game, I think. I know I can talk about that November 7th one all night, but are there any other moments from this season, you know, that kind of stick out to you as, as some of your, your favorite moments from this year? Uh, senior day, watching the walk-on guys get in is always my favorite part of the season. This is the team, this is the Wapu Nation issued gear, came in the mail today. Shout out to President John Mahoney and VP Pat Polini, you guys were in a like great it. campaign nice. this year. Love you guys. Stay tuned for Spring Formal. We'll be announcing the <laughs> next president and vice president of Wapu Nation. Um, but, I mean, that was just – I know how it is, man. I know how it is to play four years and get four plays. Um, it, it's 
the most validating part of a career, watching J.D. Carney take snaps at quarterback, watching Colin Grunhard snap the ball at center was maybe the most memorable part of this season next to Clemson for me. I just, my heart burst for that guy. Um, it, it, that is, that's something that, you know, it, it, the feeling can't be explained. And those guys getting to celebrate that with their parents afterwards and just having that validation. You saw it in Rudy where it's like, you know, you don't go down in the stat book or you're not a part of the team unless you actually get in the game. And it's like, okay, that's not really the case, but it's, it's kind of the case. And just being able to actually get in and contribute for a Notre Dame football team on a Saturday. Fuck. It's something I'm never going to forget. It's something those guys are never going to forget. And they're going to be, telling this story for the rest of their lives. Um, so that was, that was probably it for me. And then also, um, I don't know if you guys saw, but after this last week's loss, uh, Robert Hainsey hung out right before the tunnel as everyone was walking in and either dapped up or gave a hug to every one of his teammates and coaches that walked by him. That just speaks to the brotherhood that we're creating. And that's why I find trouble in answering like what more could Kelly do because you see something like that and the the type of brotherhood that he's creating and you know just the the men that he's molding it, it, it speaks volumes and Robert's not even saying a word to the press just his actions there tell you everything that he's about and tell you that everything our program is about yeah and there's this cool moment too with the Robert thing where he went to Kyron Williams who's a retro freshman, went to Michael Mayer and said, thank you. Like you guys made this season, like I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you guys made this season incredible. Thank you so much for that. Look, as a fan, I know I'm excited to watch Kyron continue to ball out Michael Mayer as well. So what are you most excited about or who are you most excited about to see um, in the future of Notre Dame football, not just offensive linemen too. You have yeah. to mention some skill positions. <laughs> no, I know, I know, because you know I'm well forever. Um, I am I'm thrilled to watch Michael Mayer um kind of take the reins at the Notre Dame tight end position. Luke, you said this a couple podcasts ago, but it's my favorite thing in college football whenever he makes a catch and they play the Halloween theme song. It's awesome. Like <laughs> hands down and Halloween I love horror movies, man. I'm a fanatic and just absolutely fucked up in that way. <laughs> but Halloween was like the one where as a kid that like really scarred me. So hearing that being played in Notre Dame Stadium brought up a lot of mixed feelings <laughs> but he is he's a monster man um obviously Kyron we call him franchise for a reason um I'm really excited to see what happens at the quarterback position I think there's a lot of guys that not a lot of guys but there um there's some cool options and some fun things that we could see coming in the next couple of years um yeah, and then I know there's a there's a couple offensive linemen coming in. I know we got like Blake Fisher as a commit. Um, I'm excited to see Zeke Carell develop a bit more. But yeah, I know I'm really only talking offense because that's all I really. And Kyle Hamilton, I can't wait to watch him become hopefully not Sean Crawford 2.0 because of injuries or anything, but just like Sean Crawford 2.0 because he's going to play for two more outstanding years and be our next Harrison Smith. You think he's come back for two more years? No, but <laughs> we can say. dream. Yeah, it's like there's let me let me have chance. this, dude. Let me have this. <laughs> you say there's not a chance. All right, Luke, you got any more? Um, no. I mean, I think that pretty much covers it all for me. I think you uh, captured our emotions that we're feeling as we try to recover from a fall of being consumed by Notre Dame football once again. Um, but no, that was that was great. I think that covers it all for me. I would just like to say, like. Notre Dame Nation, like, keep the faith, baby. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of all the naysayers. I'm sick of the, the negativity that I continue to hear about the Notre Dame football team. It starts with us. Like, be the energy that you wish to see in the world. I wish to see Notre Dame win a national championship. So, speak it a new existence, baby. It's on us, Notre Dame Nation. We got it. All right. Thank you for the positive spin. I knew you would help us out and it, it wouldn't be so depressing. So follow him on Twitter at Sam B. Bush and on Instagram at Bush underscore nation. Thanks for the time as always, brother. We appreciate it. Of course, my guys. Thank you, boys. And that was Sam Bush recapping with us both how we're feeling as the season comes to a close, 
as well as you know some of the the things that really did make this season special, which might be hard to to capture right now as we're all kind of depressed and I am literally sitting in complete darkness. But um, yeah, that was that was great. Yeah, it's true. This is you can't see it, but on the Zoom record right now, Luke is in his apartment. There's not a single light on in the entire thing. I can barely, I can only see his face based on the light coming off the laptop. It's, it's an interesting look. Yeah, we. I don't know what the hell happened. I guess the light fixture is just old as shit, but uh, we don't know what light bulbs to replace them with yet. So it's it's pretty depressing in here, which was bad timing after the Rose Bowl loss, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah, it has. How many Luke Smiths does it take to replace a light bulb? Clearly more than one. <laughs> yeah, cl- clearly I need a full person of me because I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, as we sort of wrap things up, um, we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listened to us this year. It's been really fun doing these every week. Um, I'm so glad we finally started releasing these to the public because, honestly, the communal aspect of this all has been the best part. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but as we know, there's never a dull moment in the Notre Dame football program, even when there probably should be. So we'll continue to release episodes during the off season, just um, not as frequently. We're planning on interviewing some players from this year's team now that they're more available. Um, and even some coaches as well. We've got some other ideas in the works too, but we're definitely open to feedback. So hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Sons of Sat Irish if there's someone you want us to interview or maybe a topic you want to discuss. Then hell, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. I'd echo that. The communal aspect of it was was fantastic. Really do appreciate people actually caring what we had to say, which shocked me, um, or, or at least pretending <laughs> to, and, and giving these a couple listens and downloads. But really fun season and that always helps so thank you all and uh, look forward to continuing this during the off season and, and into a, another a run you know I know I said earlier in the show that I'm not going into this season expecting a playoff run but I'm sure that tune will will change come August so uh excited to see how this off season goes and, and thank you all so much yeah this is part of the cyclical nature of it right <laughs> where I'm like after the season we take a step back we're objective like oh yeah we should have seen this coming next year look at what we're losing you know our expectations are a little bit more mellowed, but then hell, come Labor Day weekend, I'm probably going to be, yeah, we could go 12-0. <laughs> this team could win it all. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a wrap uh, for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish and a wrap on the 2020 Notre Dame football season. So thanks again for listening all year. We really appreciate it. And like I said, we'll be back soon. Um, until then, go Irish. <laughs>